0: Hi, I'm James Anderson Foster, and you're listening to Who's Afraid? A weekly podcast of awesome serialized horror fiction written by amazing authors, performed for you by professional narrators, and brought to you by SerialAudio.com. It's totally binge-worthy.
1: Chapter 9 The sewer reeked of rot and the gassy stench of decay and raw sewage. The walls were coated in green black slime. It was hard not to feel they'd gone from bad to worse. But they trusted Emma and allowed themselves to believe the unbelievable. The tunnel stretched out before them, illuminated by the bright glow of the magical flashlights. Ted held his in front of him and instantly felt it pull him forward. A warm tingle crept into his hand and worked its way up his arm as he splashed through the slow-moving muck at his feet. The sound of their progress echoed off the low ceiling and down the branching tunnels of the subterranean labyrinth. The air was thick and humid. Do you really believe this stuff? Susan asked. It's hard not to, Ted replied. I keep thinking we're going to run into Morlocks, she said. What? Julie asked nothing, just thinking out loud. Can you think a little quieter before the whole town knows where we are? Susan frowned and choked back a sarcastic reply. This way, Ted said, ignoring their banter. Now wasn't the time. They came to the first branch in the tunnel and stopped. Ted felt the flashlight turn in his hand, lighting up the correct path. He couldn't comprehend how the power worked, but he was glad it did, He just wished Emma could have come with them instead of staying behind to deal with Jack and his minions. Something told him she'd be just fine. He continued forward as cold water seeped through his shoes and numbed his toes. In the darkness, minutes felt like hours. It was impossible to tell how far they'd come or how long it had taken. Every tunnel looked the same. Water seeped in through cracks in the walls and dripped from the ceiling. Fat rats with beady black eyes scampering around their feet, squeaking protests at their passing. Ted heard Susan groan and kick out at one of them with a splash. It's okay, Susie. They're more scared of us than we are of them. Speak for yourself. I'm plenty scared. At the end of the tunnel, they exited into a large, round room with a domed ceiling. Torrents of muddy water poured from several pipes in the wall. The floor was littered with wet clumps of leaves and garbage. A large circular drain sat in the middle of the floor. The runoff circled and frothed on its way to a lower level of the sewer. They walked carefully around the edge of the room, keeping away from the rushing water as it hissed and gurgled its warning. Julie covered her nose with her hand to block out the foul stink. I hope this leads out of here, she said. I don't normally walk through waterfalls of shit unless I have a really good reason. Susan muttered her agreement, shining her light on the center of the room as the whirlpool of detritus circled the drain. She gasped and grabbed hold of Ted's arm. There, look. Ted shined his light where Susan pointed and saw a tattered red sneaker quickly disappear into the watery depths. Did you see it? Susan groaned. Ted nodded as a shiver ran up his spine. The sneaker contained the remains of a human foot, its splintered ankle bone jutting from the shoe and glistening in the beam of their flashlights. Julie screamed as the other shoe dropped from one of the large pipes and splashed into the foamy water. It was followed by a pale, dismembered arm covered in prison tattoos. A head plopped into the water, trailing filthy blonde hair and strings of bloodless flesh from its jagged, stumpy neck. Limbs and torso circled the drain like a giant human garbage disposal. Susan gagged and turned away as the beam of her flashlight dimmed. Don't look, Ted screamed. Focus on your light. Susan cried out as a severed hand brushed against her shoe. A gleaming wedding ring was still attached to one shriveled finger. Her flashlight flickered. Give me the light, Julie shouted over the roar of the water. Susan reluctantly handed it over, watching as the bulb flashed with pure white light. You can't let your fear take over, If we lose the light, we're in big trouble. You mean worse trouble than body parts raining from the fucking sky? Susan shrieked. Ted grabbed her hand and held it tightly. Come on, don't look. I'll guide you. How are you so fucking calm? She shouted. Both of you. If we're not, we're never getting out of here, Julie said. I can't go back to Jack. I'd rather die here and be eaten by rats than ever step foot in that bar again. Come on, Susie. Ted said, pulling her forward. We'll look back and laugh at this. Laugh? She screamed. I'm never going to laugh again. Are you fucking serious? This isn't a rained out camping trip or a flat tire on the side of the road. Another head bobbed past and stared up at them with milky eyes. The room was becoming a boiling cesspool of human soup. They inched along the wall as the water level slowly started to rise. The drain was clogged with human remains. Suddenly, with a loud, sucking roar, the pile of dismembered limbs disappeared into the hole and the water receded, pulling at their feet. Susan felt Julie's hand graze her shoulder as Julie lost her footing and fell back into the swirling water. The flashlight splashed into the waves and immediately went dark. Help me! Julie screamed. Ted turned and watched as Julie was pulled away by the receding water. Wide eyed, she splashed frantically grabbing at pieces of floating garbage to slow her progress. She found her footing and stood shakily, taking a tentative step away from the drain. The flashlight was nowhere to be seen. Get out of there, Ted shouted. Come on. She stepped forward and fell on her face, getting a mouthful of gritty water. Sputtering, she tried to stand and realized she couldn't. Her leg was caught, encircled by something very strong, warm, and pulsing with life. She flipped over on her back and saw a giant, scaly tentacle snaking from the hole and wrapping around her ankle. It gripped so tightly she feared it would snap her leg like a twig. The pressure was nearly unbearable. Jolie, Ted yelled. What are you waiting for? It was then he saw a dozen twirling black arms poke from the drain and feel along the floor, clutching at anything that touched its sensitive flesh. He put his arm out across Susan's chest and pushed her back pressing them against the wall in an attempt to keep out of the arm's radius. Julie's mouth opened and closed in a silent scream as the arm wrapped around her midsection and slowly pulled her across the floor. As she neared the hole, her body went limp. Her terrified eyes stared at Ted, stared through him as she was pulled over the rim of the drain and disappeared with a high-pitched wail. Then silence. Oh my God, Susan whined. What the fucking hell was that? I don't know, but we have to go. Now, can you keep up? I'll sprout wings and fly if I have to. The ground trembled beneath their feet as a spout of water burst from the drain and rained down around them. The thick arm snaked back and vanished from where they came as the unseen monster screamed from the abyss. The stench of soggy, rotting flesh filled the room as the creature thrashed audibly in the endless watery hell beneath them. Ted's feet slapped the wet ground before his brain could register the motion. He stumbled, caught himself, and continued forward down the tunnel, dragging Susan behind him. When they stopped running, they were exhausted and felt hopelessly lost in the labyrinth below Pine Lakes. Ted and Susan sat on a waist-high brick ledge as a steady stream of foul-smelling water rushed by at their feet. Tunnels branched off in six different directions, and although the light shined brightly, it no longer pulled them in any specific direction. Whatever magic Emma had imbued it with had faded the further away they ran. They prayed the little bulb would stay lit. If not, they'd wander for miles in the blackness, likely never seeing the sky or tasting fresh air again. You risked your life for that girl, Susan said, more than once. I couldn't let her suffer at Jack's hand, he replied. If you could have seen that place and what he made those girls do. He shook his head and sighed deeply. All for nothing. It wasn't for nothing. You gave her hope. You gave her a chance, which was more than she would have had otherwise. Yeah, but maybe she'd be alive. Is being trapped in a cage really living? She may be gone, but she died free, Ted. You can't blame yourself. I don't blame myself, he shouted. I blame Jack. I blame this place, this whole damned place. Susan rested her head on Ted's shoulder and whimpered quietly. Do you think we'll ever get out of here? I don't know, he said. I had hope, I really did. How can anyone survive this and ever live a normal life again? I'll take any kind of life I can get at this point, even if it means living in fear for the rest of our lives. Waking from nightmares so real we can still taste the sewer on our lips? It wouldn't be the first time I survived a nightmare. Ted nodded and snuggled closer. Just when he thought he was the shoulder to cry on, he realized he needed one himself. It was dark, it was cold, and he was absolutely terrified of what waited around the next bend. But he had Susan. He wasn't alone. Where there was love, there was hope we have to keep going, he said. There has to be a way out somewhere. Nothing goes on forever. A rat trundled by, looked at them curiously, and slunk off into the dark. Come on. Susan's legs felt like they were made of concrete, but she focused on putting one foot in front of the other. She kept looking over her shoulder, making sure they weren't being followed. Rats splashed and squeaked in the darkness, agitated by their new guests. The echoes of their passage and of the water lapping at the walls made it impossible to judge location or distance. The reflection from the flashlight bounced off the ceiling and walls in rippling bands of light. Remember that fun house we went to for Halloween about eight years ago? Ted chuckled tiredly. Of course, the one in Scranton. I've never laughed so hard in my life. Susan returned a laugh. This reminds me of that, all of those damn mirrors, It felt like we walked for miles and kept coming back to the same place. Then the guy in the Freddy Krueger costume jumped out and scared you so bad, you peed your pants. Ted laughed. Just a little. I knew I shouldn't have had that second Coke. I wish I could have seen your face. He abruptly stopped laughing. That was different. It's fun being scared when there's no real danger. This place, though? H.R. Geiger couldn't have imagined this. You're probably right. Ted was a horror buff, always had been ever since he was a child and his father would watch the old classic monster movies on VHS. The idea of seeing a vampire or a werewolf or a mummy fascinated him. He'd asked his father once how it was possible for these stupid movie characters to run and fight and still have time to make jokes. How can you look at these abominations and not just want to lie down and die? Monsters aren't real, Teddy, his father had said. Movies are works of fiction. They're for entertainment. Ted wasn't satisfied by that answer. He wanted more. He needed to know how anyone could put a stake through a vampire's heart and then walk off into the sunset with a beautiful woman on their arm. Who knows what any of us would do if something like that was possible? I'd like to think we'd behave like some of these characters, he'd said. I'd like to think we'd be brave and strong and we'd fight for what was ours that we'd fight for our loved ones and do everything we could to survive. No one knows how they'd act in a time of crisis unless they were looking it in the eye. The human spirit is strong, Teddy. Our survival instinct would kick in and we'd fight. Ted was young and only understood half of what his father had told him. But now he finally got the point. After everything he and Susan had seen, after everything they'd done, they were still alive. They were still fighting. The will to survive was stronger than he'd ever imagined, and they were living proof. They inched along cautiously as their conversation faded. The further they walked, the quieter the underground became. The steadily flowing trough of water had slowed to a trickle. Their footfalls had become muffled. Do you think anyone is looking for us? Ted asked. Probably the whole damn town by now. No, not them. Our parents. Our friends. Do you think they're wondering where we are? I don't know, she huffed. I don't even know how long we've been gone. On one hand it feels like hours, and on the other, it feels like forever. Maybe it has been forever. You heard what Emma said. Time isn't the same here, whatever that means. It's so confusing. Ted stopped short and Susan ran into him with a quick squeal. The tunnel ended abruptly falling off into nothingness. He shined the light into the shaft, unable to see the bottom. What now? Susan asked. It just disappears, he muttered. There's a ladder, she said. There. Metal handholds arched above the brick. A steel ladder ran along the side of the drop and vanished at the edge of the flashlight's beam. Do you think this is the way out? Susan asked. I don't know, but we either find out or we go back. I can't go back, Ted. I just can't. He nodded and wrapped his arms around her. Then we go down. He tucked the flashlight into his pants and wiggled it to make sure it was secure. He turned, grabbed the metal rungs and hung his foot over the precipice. I'll go first. They descended further and further into the abyss. Ted's arms and legs trembled from exertion. After 50 feet, Ted stopped counting. It's like climbing down the side of the Empire State Building, Ted puffed. We've got to be close, Susan replied. I don't know how much longer my arms and legs are going to hold out. The ladder was covered in rust, but seemed solid. Parts were slathered in gelatinous slime that made the descent even more precarious. Ted thought if this led them to a dead end, they'd never have the energy to climb back up. What do you think happened to Julie? Susan asked. I don't even want to think about it. That thing. What the hell was that? I've heard legends of massive alligators living in the sewers, but that was no damn alligator. Maybe she got away. Escaped. I wouldn't count on that. For her sake, I hope I'm wrong. What was that place like, Ted? Jack's place? You don't want to know, babe. Trust me. It takes human bondage to a whole new level, Jack really set the high water mark when it comes to depravity. I'll die before I'm caught, Susan. If it comes to that, I'd rather die than be a prisoner here. It's gotta make Guantanamo look like a fucking ski vacation. I don't understand how a place like that can exist in a sane world. So far off the map, so backward. I'm trying not to think about it. Therapy expenses are already going to be off the charts, Susan chuckled. Well, now is a great time to finish that book of yours. You certainly won't be struggling for ideas. Isn't that the truth? They descended another twenty feet in silence before finally reaching solid ground. Ted leaned against the wall, breathing heavily. His legs felt like rubber and his hands were covered in rusty grit and muck. He wiped them on his pants, removed the flashlight from his waistband and shined it around the room. They were in a massive chamber too large for their flashlight to reach the sides. The ceiling arched over thirty feet above their heads. The feeling of claustrophobia from the tight tunnels above didn't dissipate. The darkness wrapped around them just as tightly as the brick and mortar of the labyrinth. Ted watched Susan jump from the ladder and test her footing. She exhaled deeply as she rubbed life back into her sore arms and legs. Now what? She asked, startled by the booming echo of her voice reverberating off the high ceiling. We go forward, hug the wall. If there was a way in, there has to be a way out. Does logic even apply? Good question. I guess we're going to find out. Thirty feet to their left, they found the chamber wall. They sidestepped, keeping their backs to the brick, shining the light into the darkness. The wall curved ever so slightly. Bending to the right so Ted couldn't see more than 20 feet ahead. Their pace slowed. On their right, something scurried in the darkness, its feet slapping on the wet ground. Human feet. Jesus Christ, Susan whispered. What is that? Just keep moving. A figure appeared at the furthest reach of the flashlight beam, nothing more than a hunched silhouette. It watched them pass but made no effort to approach. It matched their pace. Keeping to the shadows. Look, Susan pointed. Ahead, orange light flickered and cast human-like shadows on the far wall. They weren't alone. We know you're there, a voice called. A thick, wet, guttural croak devoid of emotion or intent. Their pace quickened as they tried putting distance between them and whatever lurked in the murky light. We're not going to harm you, it said. Susan whined and clutched at Ted's shirt. The bend in the tunnel stopped and Ted caught a glimpse into the chamber ahead. He stopped, moaning at the sight. Four separate burn barrels raged with crackling flames, illuminating dozens of moving figures. Some were huddled around the barrels while others wandered aimlessly on the fringe of the firelight. Groups sat on the ground in piles of soggy sheets and sleeping bags, a few scattered, grime-covered mattresses dotted the floor nearest the center barrel. It again reminded Susan of the documentary she'd seen about New York City's homeless population. Hundreds of men, women, and children huddled around the fire, living beneath a bridge to keep out the elements. This was similar, except these people were completely nude, exposing their pale flesh, riddled with sores that seeped a thick, viscous liquid. We have to go back, Susan trembled. We have to get out of here. We'll never make the climb, Susan. We have to take our chances. You have nothing to fear from us, the voice called. You're running. Anyone can see that. Was it Jack? What do you want? Ted asked. We don't want any trouble, please. Just let us go on our way. You're free to do whatever you like. We're not going to stop you. Susan didn't believe a word. If she'd learned anything since the CUDA left the road, it was to trust no one. I know what you're thinking, it said. We're not like Jack and his people. We're here because of them, chased underground by his savagery. Why haven't you left then, Susan asked. Why are you still here? We don't have a choice. It's safe here. The figure approached slowly walking into the light, covering its face with an arm the color of eggshells. Susan gasped and covered her mouth. It was a man, only discernible by his flaccid penis peeking through a tangled patch of silver-white pubic hair. He walked hunched, his other arm dangling between his legs and nearly touching the floor. The nails on his hands and feet had become broken, brown claws coated in sludge and muck, Can you lower your light, please? The man asked. It hurts my eyes. Ted did as he was asked as the man lowered his arm from his face. Susan choked back a cry and gripped Ted's arm painfully. The man was pale as a corpse. His thin lips were pulled back over cracked and broken teeth. His tongue a bloated pink snail flicking around in his small mouth. His ears stunted and shrunken, poking from the side of his bald head like cauliflower. His eyes, oh my God, Susan muttered. I know what you must think, the man said, but I look scarier than I am. The man's eyes rolled around in his skull like wet marbles. All the color had been drained from his irises, leaving them the color of old milk. He was completely blind. His nose twitched like that of a rabbit, picking up their scent to compensate for his lack of sight. He reached out toward them and Susan screeched and jumped back, pressing herself tightly against the wall. The man pulled his hand away and backed up a step. Don't touch me, Susan yelped. No, I won't, please. I'm not going to hurt you. Who are you, Ted asked. What is this place? This is home, the man said. Who am I? I don't know. I might have known once but not anymore. My previous life is a blur. Your previous life? Sure, do you think I was born here? I mean, some of us were, but many of us started just like you. We had lives, families, jobs. Now this is all we know. Jack took everything away. Jack put you here? Ted asked. We were forced underground. Disagreeing with Jack and his ways is a surefire way to wind up here. They hunt, and they don't give up until you're on the end of a spear. So leave, Susan cried. You can't live here forever. We can, and we will. There's nothing for us up top. We've been here so long, this is our home now. I can't even remember what the sun felt like. The man hung his head. We can help you, Ted blurted. Find a way out. We know of ways out, the man said. We just can't use them. This is where we live, and if you don't want to be trapped here with us, I suggest you leave as soon as you can, if you can. I don't understand, Susan said. If you know a way out, why would you want to live here in this filth, Susan? No, she's right, the man said. Do you think we haven't tried? We have hundreds of times. Every time we think we've found something, the tunnel stops at a dead end, a cave-in, a drop to the levels below this one. Below, Susan said. You mean there's more below this? It's endless, he replied. You don't want to go down. There are worse things than death, and all of them live beneath your feet. Then how do we leave, Ted asked. You said there are ways out. I can show you, but I can't follow. The man shuffled toward the center of the chamber where others turned at his approach, sniffing the air, identifying him by smell alone. We have company, a woman croaked. They're passing through, the man replied. I'm going to show them the way out, then they're on their own. The way out, she cackled. That's a good one. I have a better chance of Clark Gable crawling out of my twat. She grabbed her naked crotch with one filthy hand and laughed harshly. Susan turned away, disgusted. Don't mind her, she means no harm. They smell so new, she said. The fresh air clings to them like fleas. The group had turned in their direction, an assortment of grotesque albinos covered in the sloppy film of decay. They too were blind. A small child sat on top of a pile of trash, hungrily gnashing on the remains of a giant rat. His face and chest were smeared in fresh blood. A pile of entrails lie at his feet. He stopped chewing and held the corpse out in his hand. Ted looked away. The boy shrugged and went back to his meal. The group milled about curiously, but showed no signs of aggression. You have company often? Ted asked, not expecting a reply. Often enough? Not many stay. They wander off, go deeper, get lost. Now and then you hear them screaming in the darkness, but none make it back. This is the last stop for newcomers. The smell of their unwashed bodies grew stronger as Ted and Susan closed in on the circle of light, a cloying mixture of sweat, excrement, and the swampy, fishy stink of stagnant water Nearby, Ted watched a man roll over on a waterlogged mattress and piss on the ground next to his bed. He wore a small, dirty towel around his shoulders. That towel, Ted shouted, rushing forward. Where did you get that towel? The man shrank away and pulled it tighter around his skinny frame. It's mine, he whined, and you can't have it. No, I don't want it. I need to know where you found it. Ted, calm down. Susan said, putting a soothing hand on his arm. He has Julie's towel. It's a white towel. There are millions of them. It doesn't mean it's hers. Where did you get that towel? He repeated. I found it. Fair and square. I'm not giving it up. I don't want the fucking towel. I just need to know where you found it. It just washed down, he said. Stuff always washes down when it rains. Did you see a girl? Did she come through here? See? See? Are you making a joke? No! God damn it, you know what I mean. Did a girl come through here? She was wearing that towel when we saw her last. No, girl. I would have noticed. Just a towel, and you can't have it. Exasperated, Ted hissed and turned to Susan. It's like talking to a wall. They can hear you, Susan whispered. It's okay, their guide mumbled. No one came through. No one but you. I'd tell you. She was a friend. I saved her from Jack only to watch her get sucked down into the sewer by some goddamn monster. Fang, the man said. We call it Fang. It guards the sewer. Lucky for you, there's more than one exit. There's no getting around that thing. Its appetite is insatiable. It took Julie, Ted said. Then your Julie is no longer among the living. No one comes back from its nest. What the hell are we talking about? Susan screamed. Like the Loch Ness fucking monster? You've seen it, the man said. How can you doubt its existence? Susan deflated and shook her head. Your friend is dead. Forget about her and focus on yourselves. Susan screamed as strong fingers wrapped around her ankle. She looked down as a naked woman pulled herself into a kneeling position and sniffed Susan's legs. You smell like fresh bread, the woman said, all buttered up and ready for the oven. Get away from me, Susan said, kicking the woman away. Leave them alone, their guide shouted. No one's going to harm them. But they smell so tasty, a man grunted. Why are we eating rats and rotten meat when we can have it fresh and warm? The others began inching forward, crowding around them, noses wiggling in a frenzy. Another woman, wearing the remains of a football jersey over two misshapen breasts, reached out her bleached fingers and squeezed Ted's balls harshly. He squawked and jumped away from her clutching hand. You said nothing would happen to us, Ted shouted. It's been so long since I felt the touch of a man, the woman lamented. Just stay a little while, huh? Stay and keep me warm. Their guide slapped the woman across the face and she fell back into a scummy puddle with a cry. These people are going on their way, he shouted. If they don't belong here, we ain't keeping them. Don't you want a taste? The woman asked, slobbering. Aren't you tired of eating shit? We're not like Jack, he screamed. We're not going to become what we fought so hard to escape. Then let them go, a man shouted. We don't have to hurt them, but we can use them, he laughed. A small child bounded toward them on all fours like a naked chimp. Ted kicked out and sent the child sprawling. You don't hurt my boy, a woman shrieked. Go, the guide shouted, grabbing Ted by the collar. Get out of here now while you still have a chance. There's a tunnel at the end of the room. Don't look back. I can't stop them when they get this way. You said they wouldn't hurt us, Susan said you promised we were safe. I'm sorry, the man babbled. It's out of my control. A naked man hit Ted in the chest with a sinewy arm, knocking him back. Ted swung the flashlight and connected with the man's skull, dropping him to the ground as his scalp bled onto the floor. Others rushed forward, but kept their distance. They may not have sight, but their hearing had been finely honed over generations of living in the dark. They huddled against each other, tripping over flailing limbs, scratching at the ground aggressively with jagged talons. Ted grabbed Susan by the arm and looked into her horrified eyes. Run, he whispered, run and don't stop for anything. Do you hear me? If we get separated, you just keep running. One of us has to get out of here. A hand reached around Susan's arm and tried pulling her into the crowd. Ted swung the heavy flashlight on the man's forearm, snapping it like dry kindling exposing the splintered bone. He pulled his fractured arm to his chest and ran back into the crowd, wailing. Just leave us alone, Susan screamed. She felt Ted's larger hand grab her own and hold it tightly. With a jerk, he pulled her along behind him. She fell to her knees, skinning them on the harsh edges of exposed brick. Ted pulled her up and began running as the angry crowd gave chase. The beam of light bobbed ahead of them as they rushed toward the far end of the massive chamber. Their pursuers grunted and chattered and squealed as their bare feet pounded the floor. All signs of their humanity had vanished. They regressed into a pack of feral dogs, slavering over the warm scent of their prey. Ted saw the arched tunnel opening at the end of the room and pulled Susan in that direction, praying she had the stamina to stay on her feet. The horde was only inches behind. If the man was right, this could be their only way out. It was the only choice they had left. The only advantage was that the tunnel was a straight shot forward. There were no branching tunnels, no drop offs and so far no dead ends. The clan of albinos were still in pursuit, but it dropped back to a safe distance, allowing Ted and Susan to catch their breath. The tunnel had been on a steady incline for several minutes, giving them hope that they'd eventually reach higher ground. How far down were they? One mile? Three? It seemed they'd been steadily going deeper and deeper into the subterranean tunnel system ever since leaving the surface. Briefly, Ted thought he heard the distant rumble of thunder, but sound was strange down here. It was impossible to tell where the noises were coming from. Ted slowed and shined the light behind them, confused by what he saw He slowed to a jog and finally stopped. Susan pushed him, shouted at him, beat at his shoulders with an open hand. She was sure he'd given up until she saw the puzzled look on his face. What? We have to go. Now is not the time for sightseeing. Susie, look, he said. He raised the flashlight and illuminated the pale bodies as they fell forward and disappeared. A new tunnel had opened in the floor beneath their feet, spilling them into the depths of the sewer. Their shrill cries echoed piercingly as they tumbled into the abyss. Those fortunate enough to stop in time stood motionless, their head cocked to the side, listening to the terrified chorus of voices emanating from below. The tunnel trembled as something came to life beneath them. Those remaining turned on their heels and sped back to the chamber as dark tentacles burst from the opening in the floor. At once, Six of the once-human monsters were scooped up and pulled into the bowels of the sewer where they were loudly torn to ribbons. That doesn't make sense, Susan muttered, wiping her eyes with her bald fists. There wasn't a tunnel there a second ago. Nothing makes sense here, nothing. The tremors beneath their feet subsided as Fang finished its meal and splashed away, momentarily sated. Remember what the man said, Ted whispered. They've tried to escape, but keep running into dead ends and drop-offs. I think we've just witnessed what he was talking about. Without warning, one of the albino monsters leapt over the gap, arms flailing, mouth opened wide to display its broken teeth. A pair of massive breasts swung like pendulums as it leapt toward them with a shriek. Ted swung the flashlight blindly and hit the beast in the side of the head with a loud crack. It stumbled and fell sideways into the slime-covered tunnel wall. Ted raised the light again to finish the job, suddenly stopping and staring as the creature melted into the brick with an explosive bellow. Its eyes rolled in its bloody skull as it tried to free itself, but its struggles were in vain. It melted into the wall, its skin smoldering and dripping down the cracked brick as it vanished in a final puff of putrid-smelling steam. Whatever magic was in play in this cursed place was keeping them from leaving. A fine balance existed here between the real and the obscene, a balance that thankfully kept those blind demons from spilling out into the world. Susan exhaled a shaky breath and looked at her husband for answers, but none were forthcoming. Instead, he shined the flashlight up the ascending tunnel floor and slowly crept forward. Getting out of this stinking labyrinth was the only priority. Albino man-things be damned. Please, God, let this lead outside. Susan said. You might just get your wish, Ted replied. Do you feel that? Susan shrugged. Air, he said. I can feel it on my face. We're close. Susan sniffed and realized he was right. There was a different smell, a fresher smell. It would never be confused with the summer garden, but anything was better than the musty stench of rot that assailed them underground. Come on, Ted called grabbing Susan's hand and pulling her behind. They jogged for several minutes, always up toward the hope of freedom. Ahead, dim gray light spilled around the arched exit. It was the most beautiful thing Susan had ever seen. She started giggling like a schoolgirl, unable to get herself under control, tripping and stumbling and rushing forward blindly to the circle of muddy light. One hundred yards to go, and the flashlight went dark, plunging them into dim shadow. Ted's air rushed from his lungs like he'd been gut-punched, but Susan squeezed his hand reassuringly. We don't need it, she said. We're out, Ted. We're actually out. We don't know what's out there. It would have come in handy. He tossed the heavy flashlight on the floor where it rolled away into the darkness. Sure, so would a map and compass, but we have to work with what we have. Ted nodded and kissed her on the forehead. Then let's do it. I've had enough of this place for ten lifetimes. Amen to that. The tunnel widened as they approached the exit. The light had taken on an ugly reddish-gray hue, and the pattering of rain intensified as they reached the tunnel's mouth. Susan was disheartened. She'd do just about anything to feel the warmth of the sun on her skin and have a dry place to rest her head. The rolling thunder brought her back to reality. Are you ready? Ted asked. I haven't been ready for anything since we left the house. But I don't really have a choice, do I? Ted shook his head. No, but it's a vacation you're never going to forget. Susan snorted laughter. That's one way of looking at it. Too bad we didn't bring the camera. Could you imagine the dinner parties? Sure, Ted chuckled. In this picture, you can clearly see Feng, the Pine Lake Sea Monster. And here's the motel where we stayed. Notice the crowd of curious townsfolk stopping to pay a visit? Here's the local Bruja, giving us directions to some of the town's hot spots, and our tour guide, Whitey, local clan chief of a previously unknown camp of albino sewer dwellers. Too bad they didn't have a gift shop. What the fuck is wrong with us? Ted asked. It's not us I'm worried about, Susan replied. They walked hand in hand, cautiously scanning their surroundings, testing their footing on the rocky shore of a massive lake, a lake full of bobbing, White flesh.
0: Thanks for listening this week. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Who's Afraid as much as we enjoy bringing it to you. Remember to come back next week or subscribe at serialaudio.com so you never miss a new episode. You can learn more about this podcast and other serialized fiction shows by visiting our website at SerialAudio.com, that's all one word, SerialAudio.com, where you can subscribe to this and our other shows via RSS, iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and all your favorite podcast players. While you're at it, if you're enjoying this podcast, we'd love it if you'd share it with your friends. Even better, if you have a few spare seconds, leave a review on iTunes. To help support this show, sign up as a patron at Patreon.com slash You'll get early access to episodes ad-free and special bonuses like behind-the-scenes author and narrator interviews. Thank you again from all of us at SerialAudio.com. It's totally binge-worthy.